Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken food. Than when you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a licking, <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. All righty now, super chicken. That's enough. Get back in your cage. Get over there and be quiet. <laughs> Where in the world did that come from? I know what happened. So, um, so yeah, thank you very much for uh, uh, for tuning in today. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Hey, today's Thursday, June 12th, and I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon. We've got a great show. It's a live radio show that's broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and like today's show, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Please be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com. There's only one, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Absolutely. uh, I don't believe in my magazine you're going to see any chickens wearing dresses, so you don't have to worry about that. Alrighty, once again, I would like to thank you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. And we'll be back with Richard Ferdenberger right after this short break from our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in today. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. 
Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We have a great show lined up for you today. We've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit them online at backhomemagazine.com, and you love it when he's here, so you're going to love his publication. It's been around for well over 20 years and lots of great, valuable information about living a sustainable lifestyle. And uh, he joins us the second and fourth Thursday of every month, and that is today. And today we're talking about the three poison cousins, poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. So uh, uh, some good information. Get those chicken whisper notebooks out. Get that pen and paper ready and take some notes here. I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful show. Let me first real quick tell everybody how to enter the ultimate May-slash-June chicken coop contest brought to you by Curtis Coops and Yard Barns. Uh, they were on the show with us yesterday talking about the wonderful coop that they're actually giving away um, and uh, many of their other products and what sets them apart from some of the other coop companies that are out there. Uh, great show yesterday. And then the day before Tuesday, we had Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, joined us. Uh, great topic there. And uh, you can listen to all those shows in their entirety at iTunes.com, Podcast.com, Zoom.com, and right here at blogtalkradio.com. So let me tell you how to enter that awesome contest if you have not already. All you got to do is send me an email to enter. That's it. 
one email per person per email address. Okay, so the way that works is if you have 19 people in your family, yeah, all 19 can enter, but they all have to have a different email address. Duplicates will be deleted and disqualified. You can enter no matter where you live. If you live in Europe, you can enter. If you live in Australia, you can enter. If you live in Japan, you can enter. But we only ship the coop to the lower 48 states of this great land. So if you live in Europe and want to enter, that's great. If you happen to win, you can row your dinghy all the way over here to a port, say Savannah, Georgia. Pick that coop up and row that dinghy back on home. No worries. So just because you live outside the lower 48 doesn't mean you can't enter. You can enter as much as you want. You know, one email address per person. Have your whole family enter, but you're going to have to row that dinghy over here, pick it up at a port, and then row your dinghy back home. But if you live in Canada, it's a big border. Okay, Just drive over the border. We'll ship it to maybe a, a local uh, holding station or a shipping station, or maybe even you know somebody who lives on the border. We can ship it there. You can drive across the border, pick it up, drive it on home. So you can enter no matter where you live. And uh, so that, that contest is going to actually officially end uh, Thursday, June 26th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will call the winner live on this radio show this um, uh, the last Friday of the month, Friday, June 27th. Somebody's going to win this barns.com. Visit them on Facebook and visit them online. So good luck, everybody. Let's head over to the phone lines. Let's give Richard a big round of applause. We're going to bring him on the radio show right now to talk about three poison cousins. Hey, Richard, thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a good time of year to be talking about the uh, <laughs> sumac because it's all around around here anyway. I tell you, we were uh, we were at a campsite, I guess for Kayla's birthday, for about 10 days, and and uh, it was uh, poison ivy was uh, all around. And, um, you know, Jen even got online and, and looked to identify the difference between poison ivy and kudzu and other vines and, you know, poison oak and poison sumac and the whole nine yards. And we, when we bought the homestead down here, um, it was it, it was uh, not all over the place, but it was uh, uh, many places around this property um, growing up uh, pecan trees and everything else. And... Uh, uh, we pretty much got a hold of it, and it's uh, pretty much gone. I don't think we have any on our property anymore, thank goodness. It was a small enough property to be manageable. But uh, I remember my dad uh, would always get into a mess of poison ivy or poison oak, uh, doing yard work, or we kind of lived on the edge of a uh, wooded area. And, uh, you know, he, he notoriously every year get it on his hands and arms and maybe sometimes on his legs if he was wearing shorts and whatnot. And, he was. He never had to go in like my brother-in-law got into a mess of it, and he had to get on like steroid shots and all kinds of things like that for it. It got bad, got on his face and whatnot. But uh, uh, my dad's remedy, uh, bless his heart, he was a uh, he is a um, hardcore dude from from long time back. He's 83. He would, um, and we probably don't recommend this. It's kind of like what you see on television. We we, we do not recommend trying this at home. But uh, he basically would scratch it up real good with his nails and then pour Clorox bleach on it. And he still does that today. And um, and that's how my dad treated his <laughs> poison ivy or poison oak. Again, we don't recommend that unless you've already, uh, you know, knew, knew of that remedy. But that's what he did. And um, so it, and he still does. And I guess it's what he's always done. But I'm sure you'll share with us some different types of... Uh, maybe some remedies on the show today and how to identify the three and where to look for the three and different characteristics and things like that. So we're, we're ready to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. Cause I was, I was 
thinking I've that's exactly what I've done, and I thought, you know, I better not say that on here because then people might actually try it. But, but um, I'm glad you did instead of me. So, um, <laughs> like I said, clarification: we don't advise anybody to do that. But I'm just sharing with you what my dad's done for years, and he's 83. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would, I don't recommend it at all. There's much safer and um, and uh, easier ways to to take care of that. Um, yeah, the the poison ivy, but maybe fewer. Um, could recognize poison oak or and poison sumac, but um, it grows um, all over. I mean, it's uh, it's not it's not particular to any specific area. Um, and what it is, what it is really is is that the the these plants have a a certain kind of an oil in them uh, in their in their leaves. And the stems, and the roots. I mean, it just basically every part of the every part of the plant has an oily. It's like a resin. Um, it's called urushiol. Uh, I, I, um, I probably don't have to spell it, but it's just called urushiol, and it um, it's just uh, an oily residue that that causes problems in the um, in the skin of probably at least half the population, if not slightly more, of the of the United States is, is affected by this. Some people. You may have, you know, heard or, or know about it. some people really aren't aren't affected by it, and they can they can, you know, pick it and play, and fool it with it and rub the skins on it, and it, it won't bother them. But uh, but um, probably more than half the population is affected, and some of those people are severely allergic to it. So it's um, it can be a real a real problem. Um, you know, a lot of people just get a mild rash, uh, still uncomfortable, but um, and there's topical uh, ointments and medicines to uh, to apply to take care of it um, uh, over the counter, or you can make up uh, three or four different um, different home remedies, which I'll get into in a little bit here. But um, occasionally, people do have to. Um, it, it's so pervasive or so um, spread so far on on the body, especially in places where you know where uh, you you'll you tend to expose. Uh, to constant touching, like arms and maybe maybe legs, if you wear shorts, and it will it just won't boy. It doesn't have a chance to it doesn't have a chance to uh, go through its cycle. It gets it gets brushed onto a different section of the skin, and then it start, flares up all over again. So in those cases, people would will go to their uh, physicians and generally get um, a prescription. Usually, it's prednisone or something like that, which actually doesn't. Uh, my understanding is it doesn't it doesn't really stop the poison ivy. It just it just Tells the body that uh, the itching isn't there as much, and that it, the it's not it's not being invaded by this stuff. So it it just takes a while to uh, takes a while to uh, uh, let the let the oils go through their through their cycle. And uh, of course, if you're really effective, the doctor will provide some some type of a topical ointment that you generally apply to the top of the skin and wrap in bandages. And sometimes, I and mean, I've had it so badly that I had to I've had to uh, Apply a gauze on top of the, um, I mean, a substantial amount of like several several large tablespoons full of uh, this gooey oil or a paste, really, and then wrap the whole thing in a in a uh, in a plastic bread bag and tape it uh, at the top and the bottom of the bag to keep it um, to keep that concoction moist and protect so it wouldn't move to other parts of the body. And that was that was when I was doing some firewood cutting and uh, and was lifting and moving sections of logs and actually didn't realize there were vi- poison ivy vines along the logs because in, in the uh, south of the Great Lakes and that sort of 
lower Midwest all the way down to uh, you know to the Gulf Coast, the, the the plants will tend to grow. They grow on the ground and along the ground, and poison ivy will. Um, but it also grows up on long vines and will go you know all the way up top of the tree, and they will um, they will sort of die back in the cool weather, but in the in the uh, in the summer they continue to grow and they will uh, and they will uh, turn back you know back to their uh, different color. Um, they're sort of hairy vines, and people may have not even realized it. I mean, uh, it took me, you know, probably 20 years before I I was told that those big vines growing up the the tree were um, were poison ivy. And these these vines were thicker than thicker than a Louisville slugger baseball bat. I mean, they're going all the way up, you know, oak trees and other kinds of trees, and and uh, and you know, quite established over over the years. So. Um, the, those hairy vines going up the uh, up the trees is something to definitely stay away from. Um, and you, you can the rash is also easy to identify. In a lot of cases, it's it's just a straight line with little like pinprick looking bumps along the line because that's the way the uh, that's the way the the vine is growing with the with the hair little hair follicles on it. And when you rub your skin up against it, it it takes the form of a the oil deposits itself on the form uh, in the form of a line along your skin, so uh, so the uh, the red rash will appear as a line on your on your skin. Um, other people, it, it it's a series of um, grouped uh, wet bumps, which will which will uh, sort of uh, liquefy. Uh, even left alone, they'll turn they'll turn to a sort of a liquid and ooze a little bit and. Uh, and that is, they'll spread very easily in that, at, that, at that point uh, because you, it's inevitable that you'll rub, you know, you'll rub, you may itch it, scratch it, or you may, um, you may just uh, rub, rub it against something and spread that resin to a different part of your arm or leg um, and, or, or possibly scratch it or touch it and then, uh, you know, scratch your nose or rub your face or forehead or something like that and then you get it on your face. So it's, um, it's, it's a very... Uh, delicate situation that uh, really has to be paid attention to it. The, you know, the best thing is to do the topical treatment and just um, possibly wrap it in, in some type of light gauze or just something to prevent the, uh, to prevent the oil resin from uh, transferring over to a different... Um, I guess most people probably know this too, but it's important is that the, your animals, your pets, Goats, your um, your dog or whatever can get into the poison ivy, and it's very easy. I have uh, every this this time of year, especially starting in May, and in the early summer, we I just have you know tons of it, just thick forests under undergrowth of uh, of living, breathing poison ivy, and just all around uh, along the driveway and around the chicken coop, and uh, in the in the sort of transition between the between the pasture and the forest, it, it seems to like it there. Uh, a little bit of sunlight, but some protection too, and um, it really thrives. So um, I do my best to cut it down. I, I don't use any chemicals here. I don't. I don't believe in using um, our normal. Uh, you know, people. A lot of people spray spray um, uh, killing chemicals on on grass and other growth, and I and uh, I, I just don't do that. I what I do, what I do is I'll rip. I'll take the mower and blow mower and put it on low. And the lowest cutting it'll get, and then just uh, knock it down to to the stubs, and just remember to stay away from the uh, the cuttings, and uh, you know rake them over the the edge, or just or just don't make sure you don't not to touch them. But when they when the leaves are actually cut down and and gotten out of the way, then the animals can't get into them as easily, and they don't 
and they don't get it on their fur. Because all it takes is for you to pet, you know, pet the animal, or if you're in shorts, a cat rubbing for an ivy bed, and then rubs his tail or his, le- his body against the leg. That's all it takes to people who are allergic, and, and there you've got it. And, you, and maybe at first you don't realize it. You you scratch your leg. You just think it's you know a scratch, and you've you've then spread it onto other parts of your leg. So so it's um it's a it's a real a real problem, and I think it's just experience that will remind you not to. Um, or, or 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 remind you to be aware of the fact that this time of year, especially starting starting in May and and June and on through the summer, it's just a it's just a bad um, it's a bad um, time to be uh, exposed to it. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons is that we perspire a lot in the summer, and of course that will, without you even touching the affected area, that will that will provide a path for the um, as you sweat, it'll provide a path for some of that resin to to travel to a different part, you know, by gravity, just by dripping down into a different part of your your leg. Now, the other thing is, like, in the winter, it doesn't mean that it's all died. Just because it's died back, it doesn't mean that it's not not, uh, able to transmit uh, the resin. I mean, you still should stay away from it. Uh, All all seasons is just a better time, a a good idea just to stay away from the the poison ivy root or or, uh, vine or leaf um, altogether. It's, you know, very, well, in people who are, who are easily affected? It can be a real, a real crisis and a real, a real difficult thing to, um, to keep in check. Um, the other thing that I, I think I should mention, just to, because I, I didn't believe it at first, but it's, uh, it, it is a fact. If, if you're burning brush, or some people, some people will actually burn the poison ivy outright, uh, deliberately, to kill it, uh, either on the ground or, or pull it out by the roots and then put, put it in the pile and burn it. Some people may gather up a bunch in just general brush clearing and pile it on a brush fire and burn it. But um, very important not to to just completely avoid doing that because the smoke will carry the the resin in the smoke particles. And once you get it down to your lungs, for some people, you know, it doesn't affect them anyway, and and breathing it isn't going to affect them either. Um, But for a person who is um, allergic, uh, a lung infection of of um, poison ivy resin can be really, really uh, an issue. I mean, it's um, it's a, uh, it's a it, it can't really be treated as easily then, and it's really a sensitive. You know, the throat and the and the respiratory system is extremely sensitive, uh, and then you you uh, uh, have a situation like that, and it's um, it can be uh, you know quite uh, serious. So uh, you want to avoid burning it. Um, at all costs, and when you're doing your brush cutting and gathering and all things, just check around before you start to make sure you're not including um, stems and vines and um, leaves in the in the mix when you're when you do your burning. When I was um, when I uh, the other day when I was promoting the show, maybe it was yesterday's show towards the end of the show, talking about what we would be talking about today, I had mentioned that that exact thing and, and kind of not personal experience, but I, my dad. Uh, one of the things he taught me way back when I was. I may not have been old enough to drive yet, maybe in that learning how to drive stage. And I would travel with uh, him during the summer on business just so I could drive. But um, we went to a, a site, and we didn't see it happening, but he told me about it, and uh, he said, see that bank over there and see how we're, it was burned. You know, he was there the week before, the two weeks before, and uh, it was a bank of uh, poison ivy, and he, he was down there, and <laughs> they were burning it. And he was just like, you know, Stop, stop, you know, and, and so he explained to me then as, as a young boy 
and the one other saying, son, the one another for the rest of your life. Um, yeah, not to burn the poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, any of that. Get, getting it in the air, breathing it in, and, and having a, a heck of a t- very dangerous, you know, a hospital visit, maybe even overnight. Get, you know, the medicines, the ivy, everything. Definitely not a uh, not a good uh, good idea. And then I went on to say that when I was living up in the Atlanta way um, for many years. Pardon me, I had a sneak up, a uh, sneak attack you on there. Um, you know, burning was strictly prohibited. Even back as early as like the early 70s, uh, when we had built a, a house uh, and, and give or take a subdivision area, and um, we had a pile of uh, debris that from, from construction. And uh, Dad went outside, he was burning it, didn't think anything of it. Next thing you know, the DeKalb County police helicopters flying above our house. And this was probably in about 75, so, you know, it was just not. <laughs> you can't do it down here in very rural South Georgia. It's 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 just done. It's there's no uh, you, you know people just collect their yard debris for several weeks, and once they get a decent pile, then they burn it. They'll call down and get a burn permit, depending on how uh, dry it is or whatnot. They'll issue one, no big deal, right over the phone, and then you go outside and, and you burn. And so there's I wouldn't say a lot, but on on a regular occasion. There's burning down here, and sometimes me and the kids and all will go on a walk, pushing the strollers or whatever. Somebody, I've raked up some leaves or something, especially in the fall, and they're burning those, and the smoke's lingering across the sidewalk. Or the, you know, and I'll, I'm always thinking about like that. Does everybody know, you know, that you're not supposed to burn? You know, how do I know they didn't just collect a bunch of you know, poison ivy? They did yard work all weekend, and, you know, it's poison ivy. So I'm always like, you know, either holding my breath, walking through it, or going around the corner a different way because I don't want to walk through this mess because I take it there's a lot of people out there that just don't know not to burn poison ivy and poison oak. So that that, that stuck with me all these years, you know, um, and even today, even rec- you know, as recently as uh, probably the last six months, when, you know, doing walks around here when people are burning, not to, uh, they're just wondering, and I wonder if I need to walk through that. I wonder if they know not to burn poison ivy, poison oak, things like that. So um, that is a great point, and um, it's something my dad taught me, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and it, the other thing is that people will say, well, it, it, that's a wives' tale because, um, because uh, you know, we, we burn it all the time and, and, and it doesn't do anything. And that that can be true. There are, there are people who it does not affect, and but you you cannot judge the entire population by by people, uh, you know, who aren't affected. I mean, some people are very affected by it, so it's just it's just a good idea not to burn it at all because you don't want to be affecting, you know, in these days, these litigious times, especially in a more of a neighborhood, in an open, open rural area, when you burn the smoke, when you burn something, the smoke does travel, and, you know, if your neighbor three or four doors down is, is, uh, is allergic and they get affected, uh, you know, you could very well be looking at a, at a lawsuit or at least medical covering medical expenses. So that's another thing to think about these days. Um, so just not burning it at all is, is probably the best thing and being careful when you when you do your um, your yard work or your brush clearing in, in the country. Um, so let's talk a little bit about poison ivy specifically. I'll go, I'll, I want to talk about oak and sumac too, um, but ivy is, ivy is the more common and ivy is the one that most people recognize. Um, as I said, up in the, in the northern tier states, the tree, the, the, the plant does not tend to grow on on vines, I, I, I guess it's just maybe the, the temperature or the or the time, the length of time that the temperature is below freezing is probably more. But it generally does not climb as readily. Um, so in the Great Lakes region or um, or you know north, it's um, 
it, it, it grows like a shrub um, close close to the ground. It's maybe a foot up to a foot tall, and uh, but it still has the three the three uh, the three leaves. You know, leaves of three, let it be that kind of thing. Um, just leave it alone. If it has even if it's not poison ivy, if it has three leaves and you're not sure, it's best just to leave it. Uh, uh, but it'll it'll grow in 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 uh, group clusters of of uh, three leaves each, and there's sort of an almond shape. Um, and um, you know they 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 will be green in the early season, and they'll turn red, <clears throat> reddish, uh, not but not always all all the same uh, in the exact same pattern or the same colors. Um, some sometimes the leaves can be uh, quite shiny and um, and glossy, and sometimes they're dull, and sometimes they can have a little bit of a of a hair like a hairy. Uh, um, uh, growth on them, and sometimes they're just a, it's just a smooth leaf. So um, uh, you know it's, it's not always easy to tell just by looking at it whether it's poison ivy or not. I mean, a, a plant who's familiar with the plants obviously can tell, but there are a lot of variations in the same you know same basic plant. Uh, some of them have have uh, uh, I'm looking at a uh, at a photo where the leaves the edges of the leaves are are uh, sort of smooth. But where I am, or a lot of the stuff around here, they have a tooth to it, a little bit of a, a ridge or a tooth on the edge of the leaf. So, so it's just it's just different. Um, is there is there like a, a, a for lack of a better term, uh, like a I want to say nursery rhyme, but like you know the uh, with, with you know kind of like uh, with the snake thing, if yellow meets black, you're dead, Jack, or whatever. So that that coral snake, one one they look the same, but you know one color touches another color, and that's the non-poisonous one. One color touches another, and that's the deadly one, deadliest snake in America, or something like that. And there's that little uh, that little song uh, that is. Is there one for poison ivy? Am I just making that up? With the three leaves, I, stay I, away. Yeah, well, the leaves, leaves of three, let it be. That's that's what I'm okay. remembering. Leaves of three, <laughs> let it be. That's, so it doesn't help. To, yeah, it doesn't help to to identify the the plant at all. But it just helps to prevent you from touching it. If you see a plant with three leaves on it, just don't touch it. Gotcha. So that makes it easy. It probably eliminates. It's probably harmless in you know 80% of the plants out there. But um, but if if you happen to rub up against the other ones, then you, then at least you. You know, you would have been better listening to the to the little rhyme. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, that's about the only thing I can say. It's like like with snakes. I mean, you you a lot a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with them, or they don't want to take the time to try to learn one from the other. So they just basically just don't go near them. If it's a snake, they back up. That's you know that's yep. safe. Uh, even though you know most totally harmless, and some are even you know beneficial. But but. Um, um, Anyway, with the leaves, it's uh, it's it's difficult. You know, I found it. I I really can't identify. I mean, you you can you can see it, and and I pretty much now I know immediately if it's poison ivy, but I can't really tell why I know that. I mean, it's just it's just the way the the clusters grow, the color sometimes, just the way the sometimes the I think I think it's pretty it's pretty common through the whole range of poison ivy that the the um, one of the leaves is longer than the other two. One is sometimes the center one, and sometimes one of the end ones. But the but the one of the leaves tends to be tapered and longer, and pointed more pointy than the other than the other two. So that's that's another sort of a signal that that um, that it's poison ivy. And that uh, you know that may not be so obvious, but uh, or, or maybe only more obvious as the leaves mature. But 
but um, it's worth something. It's worth looking at. And people can go on, uh, you know, out in the yard and, and look, or they can maybe go online and, and, and get a couple of image um, versions of what poison ivy looks like, and they can be able to tell uh, that that one leaf is just a little bit longer. Um, and um, the other thing is that um, they will have um, very small uh, drooping white berries on the on the ivy leaves on the ivy leaves, so you can identify it, uh, you know, partially by that as well. But it'll grow anywhere. I mean, it'll grow it'll grow in among rocks. It's uh, it's you know out in fields and woods. Um, I know, as I said, around here it tends to it tends to favor a place that gets a, a little bit of sunlight as well. But but it's uh, it's in the woods um, very frequently, I, but not as much in the deep deep woods where the sun is where the sun is um, uh, you know pretty much blocked. Although I'm not saying it, it doesn't happen that way, but where where I happen to be, it, there's not as much in in there. Um, it's um, you know the winter it, it pulls back, it, it it dies back, and it's just a little bit there's a little bit of stem uh, stem uh, in the ground, but it still has oil on it, um, and uh, Spring, of course, the leaves will turn, you know, will will turn uh, reddish, and then uh, and and they'll start to really springtime when they first start to grow back again is uh, is uh, definitely not not the time to be touching them. So, and I didn't I didn't even realize that. Um, I, th- I I thought it got worse as the as the season went on, but apparently the the strongest urushal uh, uh, content. Is in the in the spring when the plant is just coming back out of its dormancy, so that's uh, that's a good point to remember. Um, although I wouldn't, I don't want to touch it any time of the year, but that's uh, you know that's <laughs> nope. no no oak poison oak is something else. I haven't had a lot of experience with that. Um, I know I've had I've been affected by it because I I I uh, had a, I actually had to go to a, make a doctor's appointment for uh, some years back for what I thought was poison ivy, but it wasn't. Um, it was it was poison oak, and he he had told me I, it was pretty sure it was poison oak. I don't know why he thought it was that, but I went back to the spot where where I thought I because I knew I had been working. I was trying to cut out some pine uh, saplings, small growth pine where I didn't want it. Uh, we had a lot of pine seedlings that um, grow all over the place, and I, I I tend to nip those out where I don't want them when they're still very young. Um, and I must have wandered around, and, I, and sure enough, I went back, and there was a there was a uh, several clusters of poison oak. Well, what I learned was poison oak, uh, right where I'd been working. So that was it. Now, the, the leaf looks looks very similar to an oak leaf, and that's really again three leaves, um, very very resembling very much oak leaves with that with that pattern. And um, I'm not really I can't really describe what it looks like. People most people know what an oak leaf looks like. It's sort of an oval shape with the with the edges. Um, serrated deeply in a very specific pattern um, but that's what the leaves look like and uh, and again there's three leaves and they're usually shiny and they're green um, and the uh, there's little flowers uh, there's little whitish flowers or maybe maybe tending towards green uh, on the stems under the leaves um, in the spring and then and then in the summer in the summer months the the leaves will come come into different colors like uh, uh, reddish and yellowish, and the berries will turn uh, into into tan maybe. Um, and in in the in the at the end of the season, like in the fall, then everything will turn brown again, and it'll it'll uh, pull back 
it'll start to uh, decline and the fruit will turn, the little berries will turn uh, darker. So uh, I think the easiest identification method, again, with the poison oak is three leaves, um, small berries underneath, and and for the most part, a green leaf, although they will, you know, they will change. It'll grow, um, it's a, it's a, um, it's not normally a vine, although sometimes it will, it can grow into a vine, but they're normally, normally like a brushy, um, uh, shrubby stem, stem shrub, a uh, stemmed shrub, and they're fairly hardy, sturdy. So, um, you know, they're short, uh, short shrubs, and uh, again, they won't, they won't really, um, very often go into a, a real vine, although they can, but it's not not as common. Um, and I, you know, the the um, I don't think the result of the of the um, oil getting on your skin is any different than poison ivy. It's the same, you know, same basic uh, oil risk, but um, the, the on there is going to tend to be more uh, probably uh, with the poison ivy. A lot of times, it'll, as I said, it'll be a straight line, uh, like a welt almost on your skin, because that's the way the vine has it. With the with the poison oak, it doesn't really have a vine, or it normally doesn't have a vine, so it may be more of a just more of a spread pattern on the skin. Um, but it's the same basic oil. Um, and sumac is another uh, third the third cousin, third poison cousin. Um, it tends to favor areas where there's more wet and standing water, more like a marsh or a wet area, bogs, um, wooded, you know, heavily wooded areas or swampy wooded areas. Um, it, uh, but it can also grow into a tree form, you know, a tree that might be eight, eight or even, you know, 12, 15 feet tall. Um, the leaves tend to, tend to uh, uh, grow on longer stems and they're, and they're compounded. So there's, there's three leaves, but they're out there along a string of a, of a longer branch. Um, and they look like um, uh, they can easily be confused with other types of plants of this nature. This, the roots, the, the branches are generally uh, a bright red, and the leaves are really long. They're oblong, and they're long, three in a group, and there's uh, clusters of long clusters of, of hanging white um, berries underneath the leaves uh, along the, the stem of the plant. So um, it, that part's easy to recognize, but the leaf shape and the way the leaves grow can be very similar to other shrubs in, in the woods. So, um, so that's, a, that's a plant that I would, I would strongly suggest either getting a copy of the magazine and looking at the picture we've provided or going online and looking uh, in poison sumac and colored images that you can find online and, um, and get a good look at a couple different varieties because, uh, because it's, uh, make, it's easy make to sure you. Yeah, to make sure you don't uh, cut some down around Christmas and use it as mistletoe. Yeah, right. Yeah, because the berries do hang like that. I mean, it's uh, they're white, <laughs> you know, but they do turn color. You know, they're um, they're small white and they droop. You know, uh, and then in the, in, the, in the you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to be hanging it up uh, in the house. Um, when, you, when you were describing it, that's exactly what I thought of garland for the for the mantle above the fireplace or mistletoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be that difficult to make that mistake. And in the winter, the, um, the you know the, the leaves will turn um, will turn red, and um, and they and uh, even the even the author of this particular 
piece here in, in the uh, in our May June issue said, "Please do not be tempted to add them to your Thanksgiving bouquets because <laughs> the leaves are given they're red and the berries are hanging <laughs> off of them and it can be it can be very attractive." Um, and uh, but 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 sumac is one of the most toxic plant species in the U.S. at all. You know, overall, I mean, it, it is highly. I guess the density of of usual in the um, in the plant is extreme, and it's uh, it's really a, a toxic plant. So you you have to be uh, have to be especially careful around it. Um, and and what makes it worse is it's not always as easily identifiable as say poison ivy or even oak because of its similarity to other types of low-growing uh, shrubs and plants that, that like to live and grow I- along lakes and ponds and, uh, and creeks and such where uh, wet, wet standing areas in, in the forest. Uh, in fact, I, you know, while I'm looking at this picture, I'm thinking I'm, thinking I'm going to, while it's still out here before the evening cuts in, I'm going to go down by my creek and, and take a second look at this one particular plant. I was thinking of cutting back a little bit. I may just leave it alone because <laughs> it looks an awful lot like, like this picture that I'm looking at right now. Um, so we, I said before that I would talk... Um, I'll talk a little bit about some homemade remedies for this for this stuff. Um, again, it's really basically the same oil. Um, and I did mention that you know if it's if it's if you are severely to the to the oil resin, um, and it really it really can get to the point where you it's a miserable itch, uh, keeps you awake at night, or it's spreading beyond your control. Um, it, it's probably a good idea to look look for medical attention, you know, doctor visit, and he'll you know prescribe a. Um, if I remember correctly, the the medicine is not all that expensive. I mean, most people have, you know, plans these days, but even if you had to pay out of pocket, um, I do not remember the, the medicine as being all that expensive. Uh, the oil I put on and, and the um, and the uh, prednisol pill is, um, uh, you know, it's not wasn't that costly then either. But before before you, I mean, if you do not need to go to the physician about it, there there are some over the counter. Um, there's one particular brand uh, that sells a whole range of different, both a protective oil that you can put on your skin before you go out into the into the woods, and then there's a uh, a, a uh, it's not a remedy, but it's a it's a soothing ointment you can apply after you've been affected, um, and then they also make a soap that washes off the oil um, within I think it's 24 hours of actually if you knew you've been affected or even if you suspect you've been affected. Using the soap isn't going to hurt anything, so you can wash yourself with this uh, oil cleansing or oil removing soap, and that will uh, that will prevent or or at least go a long ways to preventing the infection from taking uh, taking root in your in your skin pores and and developing into an infection. So that's a possibility if you're not prepared to make your own uh, make your own mixtures. But um, what I'm what I'm going to talk about basically is what to do with um, after you get affected, because that's really when most most people, unfortunately, most people take some uh, uh, what they call proactive measures only after they've been uh, brushed up against the plant or after they know they've been infected. So, so what we're looking at is just a way to try to relieve the itching and burning of the of the blisters and the pain uh, of the itching. Um, so, one of the simplest ones, and this is all household, you know, materials. Um, a, a paste made from uh, made from um, baking soda, not baking powder, but baking soda, and uh, a little bit of vinegar. Now it's going to foam at first. It's going to it's going to foam up because they react, but it will settle down and it'll become 
uh, a paste. You can actually, if you don't put too much vinegar in, it'll, you can make it into a paste that will not, um, uh, you know, when it stops foaming, that you can actually apply onto the skin and rub it on, and, and it, w it won't stick unless you unless you make a paste out of it. But once it's on there, it will help relieve relieve the itching, and and uh, and you can wrap it lightly with a with a gauze bandage if if you wish, or just or just leave it on there. Um, corn corn starch and a little bit of water is a second um, home remedy that uh, that will work. Uh, corn starch has like a cooling effect. It it is a, it it will make a paste with water, so it's a good um, it's a good um, uh, material to be using. And you know certainly available and cheap enough, so that's um, that's a that's a good one too. Um, a good itch reliever is is just a, a uh, salt. Uh, I, if I've done this, I've done it with a, a coarse like a kosher salt, like a coarser salt, or maybe even sea salt. I've never really done it with sea salt, but I think that might be a healthier option. You know, these days they sell actual uh, nutrition sea salt in the grocery stores that are sort of more of a chunky salt that you grind yeah, onto yeah. your food instead of shaking it. That would be, I, I may try that if I get, if I'm stupid enough to get infected this year. Um, but a little bit of salt and, um, or, you know, a, a, a couple of tablespoons of salt and a little bit of water, again, into a paste or, or what will resemble something you can spread on. Um, not, a, not a liquid as much as a paste. And you just spread it onto the infected area. That's going to burn. It's going to sting. But it will, it's actually like the stinging takes away from the pain of the itch. So I, it's, uh, maybe that's all it does, but it, it's, it's, um, I've done this before. It does, it does hurt. I mean, it's not, it's not excruciating. It does, it does sting. It's, but it's, it's probably um, not anything like scratching it as hard as you can and pouring bleach on it like my dad. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably not quite that, that stingy, but uh, holy yeah, cow. Yeah. That's the upside, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think you know, salt. A lot of people, we 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 really go get down on salt, ingesting salt because of just sodium. You know, the whole thing about high blood pressure, right. hardening of the arteries. Salt, salt, salt. This this food has way too much salt in it. Salt is actually a really good substance. I mean, it is. It's the it's the primordial source of life. It's, you know, one of the one of the first elements that we needed to. You know, I mean, it just is. And um, mm -hmm. and the external application of salt is actually not going to hurt anything. I mean, it's really it's really a healthful substance. So applied applied with water into and made into a paste. <laughs> it's, it's just a really good a really good external um, so, application. I'm, I'm just uh, I'm thinking now. So, or if you have if, if you just don't have any of that salt, but happen to have some good old fashioned slab of country ham laying around. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. just slap that ham, wrap it around your wrap, wrap it around your arm on your uh, poison ivy or poison oak. But hey, hold that thought. I've got to go to a commercial break, but we'll come back and talk more about uh, some more remedies and some other things. Um, and uh, and we will do that. Hey, folks, this is a great show. We're learning a lot. Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit them online, backhomemagazine.com. Dot com subscribe all this is in the magazine so all these great things about sustainable living home remedies the whole nine yards he joins us the second and fourth Thursday of every month you've been listening to him here for years and um, and um, I think today on our Facebook page I'm going to give away a year subscription to your magazine so we've uh, got to love it so um, we're going to go to break we'll come back more remedies home remedies more natural remedies um, so you don't have to resort to what my dad does for the last 83 years and uh, we'll be back stay with us you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialist. 
Renzi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brensea. Technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. How would you like a punch in the beak?
how would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest again, Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Please visit them online at backhomemagazine.com. Today we're talking about the Three Poison Sisters. Oh, I almost, uh, I got a couple of sisters, but we're not talking about those Poison Sisters. We're talking about <laughs> Poison Ivy, Poison Oak, Poison Sumac. And if you missed any of this awesome show, don't worry. It'll be archived just moments after it ends, and you can listen to it in its entirety. So let me get back over here to switchboard. We'll bring Richard back on. So we were talk- we talked about the uh, uh, the, the baking uh, powder, the baking soda uh, mixture, correct? Talked about you that. baking soda and vinegar. And then we talked about cornstarch corn and water in a paste. Right, and we talked about and the salt. We finished, yeah, then we talked about salt and water and how it would sting, but it would still relieve the itch when, it was, when the sting was over. And the final one with, the, with just the household ingredient kind of things is uh, apple, cider, apple cider vinegar, the same stuff that I put in my chicken water, a little bit. You know, I put yeah. a little teaspoon in their bucket, um, yeah. and water. And again, that, that's, not a, that's not a paste, but it'll make a liquid... Um, just you know, just uh, a little bit of water to cut the um, to cut the vinegar. I mean, if uh, you know, favor, favoring the vinegar and just and, and less water. Um, you don't really need to make much, just uh, an ounce or so, and then and then just douse the affected area, and that'll that, the vinegar tends to dry up the um, the blisters over time. So that's these are all very you know very good uh, uh, solutions for e- e- topical you know external uh, applications. Um, you know, and as, as most people know, with vinegar, it, it does smell a little bit, but it'll, that odor will go away um, fairly quickly. It just dissipates, and the and the 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 worth of the of the vinegar will remain, but the odor will be gone. So it's um, you know just uh, it's still working, even though it doesn't smell. So, but you know, beyond those household uh, just those household ingredients, there are, is a, a list uh, of um, of uh, herbal um, Solutions that I want to go through as well because they uh, they can be uh, they can be you know just as just as effective if not more in some for some people. Um, basically, it'll work for any uh, any ivy oak or sumac anything with the ur- urushiol um, uh, toxin and aloe is a real good choice and most people um, may have well some people may have a plant uh, an aloe plant around the house with those thick those thick juicy leaves and you can just snap. Uh, you know, cut, snip one of the ends, of one of the leaves off, and use the juice inside to apply directly to the blisters. Um, that only, that only, it not only cools the itching, but it also uh, uh, accelerates the healing of the of the rash. So that's that's a real good application. Now, I'm not I'm not so sure about the purchased aloe oils. Like if you just bought a jar of um, of um, over the counter, you know, dime store um, aloe. Um, ointment, whether that's going to be the same. I mean, I, I do not think it's going to have as, as good an effect on your on the healing as you would as as you would if you just would snip a real leaf and just use the oil directly from the plant, because it's fresher. The plant is fresher and has more natural than the uh, than probably the packaged ingredients of the of the uh, store bought stuff. Um, here's one I didn't know. Um, I've never tried this, but I, I didn't know about it. But uh, if you press catnip, uh, you press the catnip leaves and and get the juice out of it, you can apply the juice uh, from the catnip leaf to the um, 
to the affected area, and it will uh, it will it'll relieve the itch and and uh, get the swelling down pretty quickly. So it's an anti-inflammatory, and, and applied externally, it's um, it, it'll uh, help help relieve that swelling and itching. Um, golden seals, another another um, possibility. A teaspoonful of of uh, golden seal powder and a pint of water, and mix it up. Well, it's going to be a liquid, but you can you can uh, brush it or spread it over the affected area, and that will um, you know that will help dry it up and relieve you know relieve some of the itching. Um, another one I've never tried um, is jewel weed. I um, I know you can buy the jewel weed powder at the um, at the uh, health food stores or any other co-op or whatever where you have where you have natural um, herbs and remedies available in bulk. Um, you can rub it directly onto the um, affected area to to uh, to get the itch out and to help bring those blisters down. Um, and here's another one I've heard for other other applications, but I didn't know it would work with poison ivy. And uh, it sounds a little drastic here. Um, if you have a if you have like a, a full body um, or you know a very large area that's affected, I mean you know like back and legs and you know a good a good part of your body, you can actually uh, boil up a a substantial amount of um, of oatmeal and uh, you know it has to cool, but you can actually you know put a a, a uh, substantial amount in the bathtub and just soak soak in the tub. Actually, make yourself a hot oatmeal um, bath and uh, and just let you um, let the skin uh, uh, let the oatmeal draw all that oil and toxin out of the skin. It will not only help to do that, but it also helps to relieve the itch and the warm you know the nice warm the you know, lukewarm is, is safer, but the warmer the mix is, the more refreshing it's going to be when you first get in because that's going to relieve the itch immediately. Um, it, it just, it, you know, the, just applying a hotter, a hotter liquid onto the skin will, will help relieve that itch. Um, now, my, and, my uh, son would probably, my son at this point would ask you, well, um, um, Richard, would that be the uh, cinnamon spice oatmeal? Or, or would that be the uh, uh, maple honey oatmeal or the peach oatmeal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well. That's actually actually that's a good question because I mean you 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 uh, obviously we we all know it would just be the regular old oatmeal you buy in bulk at the at the co-op. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think that put, that taking the packets of Quaker Oats or somebody else's and buying boxes of those and emptying three dozen packets into the bucket is going to be quite the same as just a good raw oatmeal. But um, yeah, no, that's that, that's that's obviously a um, a drastic solution. But you can also mix mix up a normal amount of oatmeal, like a you know a cup or whatever, and put it in a pot and and let it cool, and then um, and then apply it uh, as a paste again, um, uh, you know, onto the skin, and that'll 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 be fine. Uh, you know, it, it, this is good for an area that's maybe larger than just a little spot. And you can you can smear it. It's you know it's fairly inexpensive. You can smear it on the uh, on your whole arm or your whole calf or whatever it is, and uh, and um, you know allow it to dry uh, to actually cool and dry on the skin to actually form a a hard coating, and then you can remove it because that that's actually what that's doing is drawing out the resin, and so allowing it to stay on your skin as long as possible is what's gonna is what's gonna take it you know do the best good. Um, so you know that's that's what I have as far as like both herbal and just household type 
remedies. And I'm going to wrap it up then by just okay. we talked in the beginning of the, of the show. I, I mentioned that I don't use um, I don't use commercial um, weed and growth re- right. removal products because it hurts the. I have a pond on my property. I have a lot of water uh, courses here uh, on the place, and um, and it, it's very toxic to birds and fish and turtles and frogs and all the all the stuff I like to keep around the house or a lot of liver in the house. So um, so I just don't use that. Um, but you can mix up if if you if you uh, if you mix it up and then and then be cautious as to where and how you apply it. Um, it will be just as effective if you have a, a patch of poison ivy, especially if it's more more um, limited or um, segregated from other stuff that you don't want to hurt. Um, you can actually mix a, uh, a a salt mixture, one cup of salt with a gallon of vinegar, and heat it to the point where the salt is dissolved. And again, I would use a chunk salt, like a, a kosher salt, like a, like a coarse salt. Um, and um, and uh, that tends to be stronger and just more, it'll take a little longer to melt down, but it, it tends to be a, a stronger salt. We don't care, you know, what it tastes like or anything. We're just using it as a, as a topical application on the plant. So you mix one cup of salt with, uh, with a gallon of vinegar in a large water container or cauldron or whatever you have, and heat it so the salt dissolves, and then you want it, uh, you want it to cool, so you can actually put it in a bottle, or or um, or a spray device of some type, like a pumper sprayer or a bottle, if that's all you have. Um, but before you put it into the applicator bottle, you want to add about eight drops of liquid detergent, and that's really just to make it um, make the solution. Um, it's like, almost like a soap solution for uh, for removing um, pesky insects on your in your garden. Um, it helps the water, it makes the water wetter and makes it flow better. So the, so a little bit of soap, eight drops of soap, one cup of salt, and one gallon of vinegar. You heat the vinegar and the salt before you put in the soap, and then just add your eight drops when the soap's cooled, and then put it in the spray container, and you can spray it directly onto the plant. And uh, when you're spraying it onto the poison ivy plant, just be careful you're not spraying it onto any vegetation around that that you don't want to kill. Um, if you have to, if you're really concerned with that, you can you can put a tarp or, or cloth over the. If it's li- like if it's in an area of around the house where you have other growth, you you can put a uh, a tarp or a um, some kind of protection plastic over the over the other plants in the area you don't want to affect, and then spray it directly on the leaves, um, and that will kill that will kill the plants. Um, there will be some salt leaching down. Obviously, if you you got overspray or you've got you know dousing of of the salt spray onto the leaves, it's going to be some dripping. Um, so there will be some leaching of, of salt into the soil, but uh, we would hope that you don't overdo it so much that you're going to kill everything um, around it, even if you don't spray it directly on them. So um, so you really want to, you don't want to overspray, but you just want to make sure the plants are well, uh, the poison ivy plants or the oak or sumac is well well covered with um, with the solution and let it dry and it, it will it will kill off the, whatever it it touches so uh, you know that's that's really a very inexpensive and uh, effective way of just getting rid of that stuff uh, if you're not going to want to pull it out with gloves on yeah. or cut it cut it back with a mower okay and I guess the uh, and I haven't God, I was trying to think back here while you were going through these remedies um, when the last time I had any of this product applied to me but I remember younger you know playing outside kind of a, a lost art this day and age but um, coming in, and whether it be mosquito bites or whatever, uh, poison ivy, 
and and I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't even know if this is still on the market today, but I remember going back outside after Mom got a hold of me, and uh, I looked like I had little white dots all over me, and I believe it was called calamine lotion. Yeah, that, calamine you, lotion. I, I have some here. I mean, it, it's still available. Um, it's a pink liquid, very thick, like like milk and magnesia kind of stuff. It's it's pink right. and thick, and you and it smells sort of pleasant. I don't know exactly what the smell is, what it is, but it has a sweet sort of a sweet smell to it, or refreshing. It's very cool when you put it on. It's very yeah. refreshing, and it'll it'll dry to a hard pink. <laughs> a paste will dry to a hard pink skin, and then um, it it's actually a drawing salve is what it is. It pulls it pulls that oil out, and uh, you know it's pretty effective. I mean, if you catch it. If you catch it soon enough, it is pretty effective, and it will stop the spread. And you know that's really what I still use more than anything because because it's it's right there, and it's you know it's just it it's sort of you don't have to mix it up. It's already there. It works pretty well, and it feels good to put on. Um, you know, if I if I put it on at night before getting into bed, I will wrap it. I will wrap it lightly with something, a bandage or, or a gauze, just to keep it from you know, from getting onto the sheets and everything. But, um, but I, you know, I had forgotten about that, too, going through the talk. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's still available. I mean, I, I got the bottle of it probably a couple of years ago. I mean, it's still, I yeah. still use it. I remember, I remember she'd pull out that bottle of calamine lotion and a, and a uh, cotton ball, just turn that bottle up on that cotton ball and dot, 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 and I'd go outside and look like, I don't know, polka dot, these pink polka dots all over me on my legs and arms where I got into something. So, uh I didn't know if that was uh, even still available, but uh, I hadn't had any applied to me since since Mama did it. And who knows? I was probably eight years old or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, I just uh, so at least at least you're still familiar with it, and I guess others who are listening are as well. So, so that may be something that they've already have or that they can grab next time. That uh, and I don't even know. I don't even know what's in it. So uh, check check the ingredients. It might be something like that, the pastes that, that we talked about, something like that, because you said you know, when you put it on, it kind of hardens and makes a film uh, over that. So uh, check the ingredients uh, for you guys out there that want something more natural. We gave you those options, uh, option two. Well, great show, Richard. It was really awesome, great information. It, it, you know, it concerns and it affects everybody out there regardless, and uh, some more than others if they live on a farm or out in the country or in a wooded area or go camping or go fishing or go hiking or whatever the case may be. So uh, it's a tremendous show. I'm sure we'll have a uh, large listenership. We'll be uh, sharing it for, for years to come, I'm sure, because um, – just invaluable information, and I'm going to assume that this was in the, uh, a more recent issue of uh, Back Home Magazine. Yeah, it's in the May-June issue of this year, May-June 2014, um, uh, and uh, you know, which is really the, the current issue. So, so it's uh, it's available. And uh, again, you know, if people want to order the magazine single copy or a subscription, they can call the 800 number, uh, 800-992-2546, or you can go online at uh, backhomemagazine.com and we have all our back issues and subscriptions and some books and uh, and individual uh, single copy sales, DVDs with, with back issues in digital form so it's it's all there and uh, we welcome people to take a look. That's awesome, good stuff backhomemagazine.com when you call you'll talk to a real person there in North Carolina USA and uh, they'll get you set up. Richard, thank you very much for joining us today, super show and um Great, great uh, information about it, and then remedies, how to fix it, the whole nine yards. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll see you at the end of the month. Okay, we'll see see you then. Bye. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that's Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Visit them online. Again, backhomemagazine.com. 
great information. I think we're about due to give away a magazine uh, subscription to that for, for the whole year. So we'll probably be doing that on our Facebook page sometime later this evening. So uh, be sure to visit us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer. Look us up, become a fan, uh, like our page, and then uh, later tonight you might have a chance to win a one-year subscription to Back Home Magazine. got to love it. If you don't win, I have a link there where you can order it yourself and start getting this, in, this valuable, valuable information from Richard. So, hey, thanks very much for tuning in. That'll, that'll wrap it up for this week. No shows on Fridays. We'll be back Monday with, you know it, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. That'll be coming up this coming Monday. Hope you can tune in. Then I'll post the topic uh, probably uh, over the weekend, uh, especially Sunday night, so you can mark it on your calendar of what Peter, the Chicken Doctor, is going to be sharing with us on Monday. So until then, have a great weekend with family and friends, everybody. God bless.